0: Welcome to the Bonner Private Research Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Bowman. Each week, we bring you exclusive conversations with members of Bill Bonner's private research team, as well as some special guests we'll meet along the way. We're trying to connect the dots, from high finance to lowly politics, private investments to public follies, from Wall Street to Main Street, at home and on the road. We're into sound money, personal freedom, classical books, and great wines. Not always in that order. So join me and the rest of the Bonnet Private Research team as we pack our bags and follow the money. What a time to be alive, dear listener. Barely is the new year a week old, and already it's proving to be one for the record books. Equity skyrocket as the Dow crests 31,000 points, Bitcoin moonshots through 20, 30, and then 40,000 dollars per coin, and COVID cases explode, surpassing the 300,000 per day mark in the US alone. Count us among the flummoxed, the flabbergasted, the positively perplexed. Truly, it is an age of unfathomable numbers and remarkable hubris. Take, for example, the National Debt Clock. Unseen, unnoticed, underreported, yet quietly TikToking to fresh highs each and every minute of each and every day. Yet barely does the poor thing get a mention in the mainstream presses, what with all the other headline-grabbing figures jostling and elbowing for the public's attention, like so many celebrities fighting over prime position on the red carpet. But there she is, sheepish, standing alone off to the side, and rather more inclined to corpulence than she was just a year ago. According to the Fed's own data, the M1 money supply in the US is up over 70% during the past 12 months. Now that's a whole lot of freshly inked greenbacks, all chasing fewer goods and services produced now than were being produced before the pandemic began. But still, the Feds march ahead, fully committed to their inflate-or-die agenda, as Bill Bonner calls it. For now, inflation appears to be contained to the financial economy, hoovered up by Tesla and Amazon and… Signal Advance? Oh yeah, that's that little company that rocketed more than 11,000% on breathtaking speculation after Elon Musk mentioned a completely unrelated communications app to millions of his Twitter followers. An event which tells us that there's probably still plenty more dollars sloshing around the market than there are cents. Mixed signals, indeed. But sooner or later, that excess liquidity will make its way from Wall Street to Main Street, where it will show up as higher prices in the grocery store and at the gas pump. Then our guess is that's when we'll really see what a revolution begins to look like. Speaking of runaway inflation, we're recording today's episode from a little campo, an hour or so drive northwest of Argentina's capital city, Buenos Aires. As long-time listeners know, when it comes to ruining an economy, there are precious few ideas that Argentine politicians have not tried at least once. And if the policy is particularly bad, price controls on essential goods, say, or stifling trade tariffs, or wholesale nationalisation of critical industry, the Argentines do want to give it a second try too, and a third or even a fourth, as many times as necessary, in fact, to prove that, in the realm of politics, no bad deed goes unrewarded. But it's not economic policy, per se, that has uh, invited us to swap our city apartment for the wide-open spaces of Las Pampas, Rather, it is the spectre of further lockdowns in the metropolitan area, following a recent spike in COVID-19 cases, that has sent us packing. Not that the last nationwide lockdown here, officially the longest in the world, did much of anything. Here, as elsewhere, nature runs its course. Politicians and all their best intentions be damned. We'll have more on Argentina and her fabulous follies in future episodes, but for now, Know that if you hear some birds chirping in the background or a soft breeze blowing across the porch, it's only the afternoon sound of life in the countryside. In today's show, we catch up with Bonner Denning Letter co author and longtime friend Dan Denning to talk about the year so far, one unbelievable record at a time. So please enjoy my conversation with Dan up next. <laughs> Happy New Year. It's been a little while since we caught up.
1: Yeah, and to you, uh, it was, uh, I I just felt this week finally, like we literally turned, well, obviously we literally turned the page on the year last year, but, <laughs> right. um, you know, sometimes mentally you just, you just feel like you're still stuck in the same place. But, and I think because of COVID that, the, that this new year didn't have the same, Feel of mm. being able to start over and put put the past behind you in a symbolic way because it's like well the past is still very much with us uh, at least right. with all the shit that we dealt with last year but right <laughs> well for our uh, our
0: listeners' edification you and I are speaking just right around a week into the new year into 2021 and. Uh, yeah it's already proven to be one uh, for the record books uh, to say the least we've got records in stocks uh, records in bitcoin records in covid cases uh, a a rolling record in the national debt which obviously just achieves a new record every every single second but uh, before we get into all that i guess probably the biggest news story uh of 2021 the the seven day old year such as it is is that uh an angry mob stormed the the capitol building which is just I mean, I'm talking to you from down here in Argentina where we kind of expect uh, that, that caper. Uh, it's not unusual for ex-presidents here to be helivacked off the, the roof of the Casa Rosada, but I don't think many people would have expected to see that kind of thing happening in the United States of America. So uh, I guess my first question then as an outsider looking in uh, is what is the general mood amongst uh, the US citizens who are watching this unfold on their television sets? And, uh, as a kind of part B to that, do you think that this, is, that this marks a kind of high watermark for peak crazy, uh, if you will, the, a big blow off before everything gets back to normal? Or do you think that this is the first of you know, an, an escalating uh, series of carnage and chaos to come?
1: That's uh, a good question. I mean, I, I have to say, I, I didn't view it as a dark day in American history. You know, there are, there were many darker days in American history. 9-11 was a dark day. Pearl Harbor was a dark day. The Battle of Bull Run was a dark day. Uh, you know, one, one of the scenes I saw, and I'm not trivializing the fact that, that lives were lost, that certainly mm-hmm. um, makes it more than a live action role play. But these kind of things were going on all summer last year Mm -hmm. in the United States from across the country, from city to city, and Washington itself was on fire uh, all over the city. And at that time, the narrative from the establishment media was that protest was patriotic. And there was Chris Cuomo, the governor, uh, or sorry, the CNN commentator uh, had said, show me where in the dictionary it says protest has to be (laughs) nonviolent. I think he got protest mixed up with riot. Yeah. Right. So you know what I guess we could go to the dictionary and, and 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 try to define what distinguishes a protest from a riot. What I didn't see is that not it wasn't like 1812 when the British set the Capitol building on fire. You know, I, I used to work in the Capitol building as a 16-year-old. I, I worked there for a year as a, a congressional page when they still had that program. And I remember a time when the the American public, after they passed through a metal detector, could generally roam free in that building. Now they couldn't jump down from the gallery and sit in the chair of the Speaker of the House, and they couldn't get in <laughs> on the floor of the Senate chamber. But you know, what did people expect was going to happen? What did people expect was going to happen when you spent four years having the deep state and the establishment media delegitimize uh, the, the President of the United States, and then 72 million people voted for him. And he, of course, didn't do himself any favors by fueling the fires, but you know, I, I, it just didn't bother me the way it bothered other people that, that, that you know, the, the floor of the Senate is not the Sistine Chapel.
0: It's right. not Notre Dame. <laughs> it's not sacred.
1: Buffalo. It's not a religious place. You know, it's, it's just a place where a bunch of millionaires and billionaires pass laws that don't apply to them. And what happened on Wednesday was other people said, hey, the world sucks for us. You guys need a taste of that. And uh, that's not great that that's the current state in America. But to answer your question, I think it's just like it is everywhere else. It's 50-50. Half the people seem to think that anyone who was caught in the Capitol building should be tried uh, or jailed, certainly for criminal activity, but possibly for sedition uh, and treason. And you have President-elect Biden saying yesterday that, that, one, that was the darkest day in American history, and that that amounts to domestic terrorism. Right. So now you're in the position in the United States where, where the war on terror, which has been up until now conducted on people far away from on high with surveillance and drones and death from above. And maybe it's reported on American TV, but all the methods of counterinsurgency, which have been used to suppress, prosecute and terrorize populations on the other side of the world could now be becoming coming home. And that, that to me is the takeaway is that it, it's the causus belli in legal terms. The deep state will use what happened on Wednesday at the Capitol as an excuse to declare war on the American people in the sense that everyone is now potentially a terrorist in the same way that every sneeze from someone is the equivalent of a suicide bomber detonating themselves in a crowded <laughs> market. That's, well, that's what it's, you know, and the strangest thing about it, Joel, is that the stock market, Bitcoin, Tesla, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ don't give a damn. Like you look right. at the world and say, oh, the news must, the market would be crashing. It would be in free fall. And, and, and up until now, the exact opposite has been the case that you have stocks at all time highs. So it's, a, it's an extremely unusual time in, a, yeah. in financial history and in American history. Right. Yeah. So that, I mean, that brings me right on to the next question. I was,
0: you know, thinking of people uh, watching, you know, people swinging from the chandeliers in Viking helmets and, and whatnot, and looking at all of the, the uh, you know, the, the lead up uh, protests, call them riots, call them whatever you will, over the, over the past summer where, you know, capital cities and states around the United States were, were burning. People have been watching this on their television and simultaneously have been looking at the, at the crawler at the bottom of the screen, Announcing to them that, as you say, the stock market is at all time highs. So, you and I have spoken about this before. The uh, the connection between civil unrest and phony, uh, which is to say, corrupted money, uh, observing that one follows the other, kind of like night following day. But uh, how do you connect the dots for people between that that phony money, civil unrest, and a booming stock market, all occurring simultaneously? And what do you think that tells us?
1: Yeah, well, it's it's, it, looks, uh, it, it looks strange at first. It looks like these things are unconnected, but, but the, the more you study financial bubbles in the decline of sound money and sound money's relation to, to, uh, to civil society, then it all does make sense. Right. Uh, because it, at the bottom line, sound money is a stable uh, form of value, whether you're saving or you're conducting an exchange. When you start printing money, then you, or you start uh, having a huge credit boom then the value of money is variable it declines it's not reliable anymore and when you start messing with that value which is the way we mediate all of our economic relationships the, the trade that we engage in the transactions that we we conduct then uh, in Weimar Germany in France in 1789 with the Yat, in any In any situation where the the unit uh, of exchange, the currency suffers this kind of depreciation or this loss in value, then civil society comes unwound shortly thereafter because all the incentives, all the moral incentives, all the economic virtues of restraint of saving, of willingness to delay consumption, of building capital of uh, you know all these things that, that allow us to plan and think about the future, they all get discounted. They're, it's not worth it to plan mm-hmm. for the future when, when, uh, you know, when Bitcoin is going up 6% a day and Tesla's $800 a share and Elon Musk is richer than, than the market cap of Exxon Mobil. You know, all of the virtues uh, in your private life aren't useful anymore. And so yeah. the restraint that people exercise uh, in their life also falls away, not just financially, but but uh, in terms of action. So normal people would not dress up like Vikings, paint their face, <laughs> storm the Capitol. Right. Uh, that's the, you only get that sort of behavior when there's been some kind of collapse in cons- uh, in consensus in the in the economy uh, and in the permissiveness, that restraint is no longer something we value. So I know that's a little messy, but it doesn't surprise me at all. And in fact, I think we'll see more of it. What I'm hoping doesn't happen is I don't, I don't want to see the destruction of private property and you don't want to see the loss of human life. And I still don't believe that we're at that point in America where the political disagreements among neighbors would cause them to take up arms against one another. But I will say that c- calling people seditious and treasonous and asking for them to be, to be um, jailed or tried as if they were Osama bin Laden or Mohammed Atta, um, that's not great. That's not great yeah. for our civic conversation.
0: No, that's not helping the, the situation at all. I, uh, I was interested to hear you mention on your State of the World podcast with, uh, with our colleague and friend Bill Bonner just the other day that... I, th- I think you mentioned that only fifty percent of Americans own stocks, uh, something like that. So when we see this this huge kind of hyperinflation in the financial economy, when Bitcoin's going up six percent a day, and you know Exxon's going through, uh, rather Tesla's going through the roof, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, I guess this really does kind of further drive a wedge between the haves and have-nots, and I, I don't imagine that that is that that portends well for the kind of social cohesion that is a bulwark against uh, viking-hatted chandelier swingers.
1: Well, yeah, I mean the the president, let's put it in terms of uh, of the president and what he thought was going to happen, he regularly tweeted that the stock market was making new highs and that people's 401k's were going up in value and that he was somehow responsible for the greatest stock market ever. This is the same guy who had said that interest rates had fueled the stock market bubble when he was a candidate for president. Um, but I think what he, he didn't realize is that not everyone is a leveraged New York real estate speculator who owns stocks. In fact, <laughs> right. most, most people aren't, you know? right? <laughs> so, so, you know, 30 million people remain unemployed in the United mm-hmm. States, not because of COVID, but because of the government's response to COVID. And right. so when these people can't work, can't put food on the table can't pay rent even though rent and mortgage have been canceled temporarily not only does that have an economic impact but it has a, an impact on the morale and the self-worth of all of those people and it makes people angry not because uh, not because it's a racial thing not because it's a political thing but because they live in a country where they can't anymore actually provide for themselves and their family and in the meantime, An immigrant, which is great, by the way, who makes electric cars and wants to go to Mars, is the richest man in the world. The second richest man in the world sells things on Amazon, which is putting mainstream out of business. So people look at that and they go, God, I don't understand what's happened in the country. And they're they're not getting wealthier from the stock market. So that's not difficult to understand. Right. Right. Yeah, it's easy
0: to see. uh, It's easy to see some. Some discontent there. So, uh, coming on to Bitcoin, we've mentioned it a couple of a couple of times already in this conversation. But I'm I found myself wondering the other day just how many people are rotating out of fiat currency into uh, the preferred free market currency one $600 stimulus check at a time. Uh, And I've actually just spoken anecdotally to a, a few Americans this week who were who were really just doing exactly that. So. Um, you know, this is uh, this is a moment that Bitcoin is, of course, uh, of course, shining. And I, actually, a month ago, I asked our mutual friend Charlie Morris, uh, editor of the Fleet Street Letter over there in London, whether he thought we'd see Dow fifty k or Bitcoin fifty k first. Um, I think he went with the latter on memory, but it's hard to imagine that just barely a month later. Uh, Bitcoin has gone from breaching 20K to almost doubling. It's up 400% uh, in the past 12 months. Um, First of all, what are your thoughts on on Dow 50K versus Bitcoin Bitcoin 50K? Does it matter? Um, And where do you see things going from here?
1: The easy part of the question is that Bitcoin might be at $50,000 by the time we're done talking. Yes, (laughs) 40K is
0: a horribly outdated number.
1: Now, five five thousand is the new one thousand in terms of of price moves for Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, which people should remember is that it, it's extremely volatile. And but to give credit where credit is due, a lot of the people that were were uh, talking about uh, the limited supply of Bitcoin and then the gradual adoption of it by institutions as a digital asset or by central banks as a reserve asset, which that that hasn't happened yet. But if, if you accept the narrative that this is part of the timeline on which Bitcoin is normalized as, a, as hard money and as a, an alternative asset, then it's simply a question of liquidity that there's only so many of them. And now there's an awful lot of money clamoring for them and no one's selling yet. Now, I, I'm not sure I wouldn't be thinking about taking some profits because I'm, you know, I, I would be trading it. I would not be treating it as a reserve asset or as a hard mm-hmm. asset because my view, and I think Bill's view, is that it doesn't have enough track record yet to be equated with gold as a sounder form of of ultimate safe money. But uh, I think the other explanation for, for it, uh, which also explains some of the move in stocks, is worth, You know people look around and they whether they understand completely what it means to have a 27 trillion dollar and then to be stacking on trillions of dollars per quarter talking already about another two thousand dollar stimulus check you know that that's beginning to occur to people that if you send a stimulus check every quarter that's Mm -hmm. universal basic income right by by any other name and uh what you don't want at that point is if you have any portion of your wealth stored in U.S. dollars, you it, at the very least want to diversify. So Bitcoin is, is the, the lifeboat of preference right now. And the U.S. dollar is taking on water. So people are jumping into anything that's not that or that will you know preserve some of their value. I think time will tell whether or not, um, whether it holds up, but uh, it's, it is breathtaking to watch. Uh, and, and I would expect if the past is prologue, for Bitcoin that a decline of 80% from the current levels or from $50,000 should be expected. And in fact, Mm -hmm. I would expect both things. I would expect $50,000 within days, maybe hours, and then a decline uh, of 70 to 80% to shake out all of the new money who thinks that this is an easy way to become a billionaire. Because I guess it's easier than ever to become a billionaire but it's still not easy, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh,
0: if uh, if past this prologue, yeah, you would expect uh, some pretty a pretty heavy drawdown, and I think that part of that comes with just a lot of weak hands being you know added to the marketplace every day. I mean, I I spoke to uh, a few people earlier this week who you know had bought some Bitcoin earlier on in the year and didn't really understand it necessarily very well, weren't even aware that there were you know a, a huge um ecosystem of so-called altcoins uh, out there you know really weren't engaged with the kind of economics behind Bitcoin, but you know we're just kind of swept along uh, with this this rising tide. and I think those are the kinds of hands where you know when you start seeing uh, drawdowns of you know five k, ten k, fifteen k people start to panic and then uh, and then it's a rush for the exit um, but we'll, yeah, I guess we'll have to see how
1: that uh, let me that Let me just chuck, chuck in one more story there because I, I was talking with uh, Bill Bonner and Tom Dyson uh, on Zoom yesterday uh, because Bill's about to unveil his new trade of the decade in the January issue of the Bonner Denning letter. And during the call, I was interrupted by someone who came to my front door who uh, I've known for a long time. It was the first guy I ever worked for when I was 12 years old. Uh, I was a busboy uh, at a local restaurant. Child labor laws were different back then. Yeah. <laughs> we would just ignore, basically, we just ignored them, but um, he uh, I'd seen him, he's a very successful local entrepreneur, and, and we had talked about going into business together because there's a lot of vacant real estate on the on the high street here in my town or the main street. and uh, we had batted around different ideas. and he came to my front door yesterday during the call and said, I, "I've got it. We should sell uh, gold and silver and cryptocurrencies." And then I said, well, let me let me come down later and talk to you about it. And uh, he's a smart guy, a very successful small businessman who's taught a lot of people how to be entrepreneurs and created a lot of value for his community. But he, he wasn't aware that, that, that Bitcoin was not a physical asset. <laughs> he thought we could right. sell it over the counter. He's like, uh-huh. yeah, people come in, they can buy gold, they can walk up with that and we can sell them some of these cryptos. I don't know how to do that. I said we can't help them. <laughs> right? <laughs> they, they they don't need our help. Although you know, retailing crypto may, may be something that does help and popularize it in the same way that you know ETFs became an easy way to buy uh, asset classes. So, I, right? Uh, you know. But but anyway, that's a separate conversation. My point is, when that conversation happens, <laughs> when someone talks to you about setting up an over the counter crypto dispensary in a building that used to sell CBD oil. Well, then, yeah. then, then it's a, it's a purely, purely sentimental indicator, but, uh, but, you know, all that stuff's out the door right now. This, this, we really haven't seen anything like this since 1999. And even 1999 is looking uh, composed insane compared to the kind of things we're seeing today.
0: Yeah, indeed. I think uh, maybe you can sell some intranets over the counter while you're Uh, Mongering your your (laughs) cryptocurrencies, but I I think just on that point of um, of its intangibility, I think it is useful uh, for people to understand the difference between um, between something being being fiat and something being intangible. Because I think that's there there are two concepts that people conflate uh, fairly often when they first start hearing about Bitcoin, and they think, oh, okay, so I can't touch it, I can't feel it, I can't stub my toe on it. so to speak. So, therefore, it must be fiat when, as you and I both know, fiat is, um, is a term used which basically says it's something is given value by governmental decree. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with the physicality of it necessarily. And I think uh, people get a little confused about that from time to time, but it's worth bearing that distinction in mind. Something can be intangible and it can still have a lot of value. Um, the words that we're speaking right now, language, music. Um, there are plenty of things out there that we can't stop our toe on that are given value because of their utility.
1: It's causing people to think about uh, where value resides. And another Mm -hmm. word is intrinsic. So this is is an interesting uh, offshoot of the discussion that uh, if you look at intangible assets as a percentage of the capital base of S&P 500 companies, they're at a record high. Mm-hmm. So it's not property, plant, and equipment. It's not the book value of the tangible assets, which, of course, is how Benjamin Graham suggested you could give yourself a margin of safety in buying companies. That If you could buy them at below book, you could liquidate all the assets of a company and still make money. So that's changed. It's changed in the last 20 years, at least in this era for this stock market, intangible assets. So the value of your intellectual property, the value of your brand's. Um, those actually have a higher uh, percentage of the value of the companies than their capital assets. So maybe their cash, their treasury bonds, any of that stuff. But intangible capital is is more valuable than ever. It's and you can't touch it. You can't mm-hmm. you can't do anything with it. Now that's different from intrinsic value. And I think this is one of the big uh, sticking points with people who who are comparing gold and Bitcoin to other assets is that. Uh, Gold has utility as uh, as a metal, which can be used in some applications, industrial or electronic. But its primary intrinsic value, well, it doesn't have any intrinsic value. It's nothing has intrinsic value. Exactly. I guess that's what I would say is value, as as the economist Frederick Bastiat said in the 19th century, is in exchange. It's when two people agree that something has value. And so from that point of view, Bitcoin and gold have had value or have value to people because of various properties, f- physical properties in some. So the physical property of Bitcoin that it's scarce, even though it's not a thing, is, an, is a property that it's digitally scarce. And gold, of course you can mine it, but it takes money to do that. So I think people are now trying to figure out what. Well, what, what something is worth. And, you know, right now, the price is the price. If people want to pay 42 grand to be a whole coiner, that's what it's worth. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd say that, uh, it, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing that, the, that these price swings force you to clarify what it is you're trying to do. Because if you're trying to preserve the purchasing power of your lifetime of work or your retirement savings then you better think really carefully about where you put that money and how you're going to invest it, whether it's a blue chip company like ExxonMobil that does have real tangible assets, crude oil, or whether it's Tesla or whether it's Bitcoin or gold. So, you know, in some ways, these are really, really interesting times to be an investor, but a lot is at stake for a lot of people. So, you know, our view in the Bonner Denny letter is to not lose your money. And I think right now, it's, it would be very easy to lose a lot of money very quickly.
0: Yeah, I think that the, the uh, premium non necessary first do no harm, is uh, probably uh, appropriate uh, at this stage. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with, uh, with your assessment that nothing has intrinsic value. And along with Bastiard, of course, um, Mises and, and Menger and, and the Austrians. Recognized that um, that value was resided in what they called subjective value, and you mentioned it being in uh, part of the value of, of in the exchange. Uh, and and I think it's it almost comes down to beauty being in the eye of the beholder. It's it's the utility that we derive from something. It's usefulness to us. Um, it, now that's very very diff- difficult to price and to model. And I think that's part of why we're seeing so much volatility in the crypto space because you know we've had the whole history of humanity to get used to valuing and pricing tangible goods just like we've had the whole history of humanity to get used to and to get pretty good at storing and safeguarding those goods you know we put them in bank vaults and we have you know locks and bury things under the ground and that kind of thing but when we talk about the digital age which is very very nascent um, you know we're not very well versed in either being able to correctly price and value uh, intangible assets, and we're damn sure not very good at being able to secure them. Um, and testament to to that is you know the number of coins that have been bitcoins, that is, that have been lost. Um, and you know the, the especially in the early days when it really, really was the wild wild West. Um, you know, lots of accounts being hacked and um, and platforms you had mount gox, all of that kind of stuff. but all of that is just to say that I think we're we're going to probably get better at being able to understand uh, what the real value of these things are, but it's going to take time. and uh, in the meantime you're you're going to want to have your your motion sickness pills handy because uh, yeah five thousand dollar moves are daily are, are not to be not to be unexpected. But um, I guess, mate, we've, we've, we've gone uh, almost our full 30 minutes here and we haven't even mentioned uh, the other record, which is, um, which is I think, two hundred and seventy-five or 280,000 COVID cases, whatever, however they're calculated and however they're tabulated and, and however all that's done. Uh, the most important part is, of course, the government's response to that, um, I guess it's it's a sign of the time that we're sort of 28 minutes into a 30 minute podcast and a pandemic and the government's response to it hasn't even been mentioned yet. Um, but give us a yeah a, a quick couple of minutes on um, on where where we stand with all that. I, I know we're coming up on the on the anniversary of that'll be the January the 20th of this month of the first positive case tested in the United States. It's it's almost. It's been an unimaginable year to to look around now and uh, and just try and assess where we are. But uh, what are your thoughts there?
1: Oh, you know, it's uh, I have two thoughts. One is that the more complicated societies and systems get, the more fragile they become. That's not my my observation. Other people have made it, but the, the inability of modern society to correctly assess the risk. Of COVID nineteen to elderly people in nursing homes, protect those people, but then allow for the normal functioning of an economy where people are allowed to 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 decide how they want to how how much risk they want to expose themselves to is is uh, not surprising. But we're seeing you know the the almost uh, full spectrum failure of government at every level, local, state, county, and federal. uh, for two reasons, one, because it's a cover your ass mentality at the bureaucratic level, so the, the, the path of least resistance is to shut everything down so that they can't be blamed for, for under responding. Uh, and two, and, and this is where my view is, uh, has been since I was in Australia last year, is th- these set of circumstances appeal uh, to the cold dead heart of authoritarian bureaucrats and politicians who see this as a chance to, to lay their the dead hand of government on private relationships, on the free market, on freedom of assembly, on freedom of speech. So it's now become a vehicle for advancing an agenda that had stalled out with uh, with global warming, really, but has been reactivated by COVID-19. So I think from the, in that sense, um, you know, we're we're having to see how the system is going to respond. Is it gonna become more authoritarian in Chinese? like, or is it going to become more decentralized because it just fails in its national response and it becomes a, a more local response, which I think in the end would be better. But, you know, there's no doubt that COVID's a real virus and that people are sick and, and people die. But uh, the focus on case numbers with the, uh, with the real doubt about whether the PCR test that's used to detect it is is over-reporting the number of people who are infectious and capable of spreading the disease. Um, you know, those things have been ignored by the policymakers and they're using COVID as a, as a very blunt instrument to bludgeon people into submission. And uh, that's not great either. So, you know, that's why I am where I am right now. That's why you are where you are right now. People's response has to be both financial and it has to be geographic. You have to decide where you're going to be who your neighbors are, what kind of community you live in, based on on uh, the willingness of that community to to live and let live, and unfortunately, there just aren't that many places that that are like that right now. Mm, alas, yeah. Well,
0: on that note, mate, I've got uh, some guests that are going to join me in the countryside now, and uh, I have to say, to that point about having people you value around you, that, uh, that is worth in the end. All the, all the gold, all the Bitcoin, all the stocks, all the everything um, that you could ever wish to have good family and good friends around you. Uh, on that note, mate, thanks very much for joining us and uh, let's catch up again soon.
1: Buenos noches and yeah, invest in the people around you. That's where you're going to get the highest returns in the next few years.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bonner Private Research Podcast. You can find more conversations like this in the members only section of our website at bonnerprivateresearch.com. If you would like to contact us, please address compliments and complaints alike to podcast at BonnerPrivateResearch.com. We look forward to hearing from you either way. Until next week.